This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. I always like to say it takes one person to change a dynamic, you know, especially in a co-parenting one. Once we can understand what we're doing, we can lead conversations and respond instead of react. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by the lovely Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? We have a fantastic conversation for you today with Orisha Smolarski about co-parenting and co-parenting techniques. And this is something that we see a lot of our members of our balance community dealing with and Brie has personal experience with as well. Yes, yes. So I think most people know, but I don't always talk about it, that I am divorced, seven years divorced now, two kids. We do a 50-50 split and my co-parent and I do have different parenting strategies that we utilize and also different ways that we communicate. So we do have some struggles. We do have struggles. Yeah. And in this conversation, we talk about the different ways that people may communicate based on their attachment style. And just to give you a heads up, I hate attachment theory so much with a passion and you'll hear me like resist it a lot in this interview. Yeah. What is it about? I feel like theory? it puts all the shame on moms. I feel like it puts all the responsibility for the negative behaviors on your caregivers where it's so much more like it's so complicated. There are environmental factors. There are, of course, genetic factors deal with how you communicate. There's your schooling environment with how you communicate. There's all of these things. And it's just when we start talking about attachment theory, I have this well of rage bubbling up inside me anytime I'm like, but it's not the mom's fault. So you'll hear that in the interview and look forward to that one. <laughs> okay. But you did say it's about the adults that were around you in your life that create the attachment theory. So that's not just your parents. It's your teachers. It's 
the adults that were consistent in your life and how I get it. But hearing that it just makes me want to fight back more that it's the moms. It's just it's my feelings about the situation that like anytime I hear about it, it come it comes in and I but you're right. There are a lot of other factors. So. Yeah, there are so many great things in this episode, um, including the attachment theory stuff, which I, I yes, you'll you'll hear it. It's fine. <laughs> but um, Orisha Smolarski, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in working with couples, co-parents, and individuals. She's also a co-parenting coach and a mediator, and she's the author of a brand new book out this month, Cooperative Co-Parenting for Secure Kids, The Attachment Theory Guide to Raising Kids in Two Homes. So we hope you enjoy our interview with Orisha. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. You guys look fabulous. <laughs> you look fabulous too. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Arisha. We're we're excited to dig into this and to dig into co-parenting and especially that communication that is mm-hmm. necessary during co-parenting. And you have a book that has just been recently released, Cooperative Co-Parenting for Secure Kids, The Attachment Theory Guide to Raising Kids in Two Homes. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal story and what led you to writing this and working in this field? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been a therapist now for 12 plus years working with co-parents and individuals and couples and helping them navigate different stages of their relationships. I'm also a co-parenting coach and I am also a mediator and I've been now divorced and co-parenting for about six years. And at the beginning of our co-parenting journey, it just was a mess. You know, it was full of conflict and tension. And I could see that my daughter was not doing great, you know, and I was in this emotional fog. You know, there was anxiety and sadness and anger and fear, fear about what was going to happen to me in the future, like being alone and also fears about what was hurting my kid and how she would be affected by it. And then there was that shame of what does this mean about me? Here I am, a relationship therapist and my relationship has not succeeded. So what does that mean about me? So I was struggling with all of these emotions. And it wasn't until I got that wake up call for my daughter. Um, I remember as if it were yesterday, walking into the kitchen and there she was like looking down and she had a little tear coming down her cheek. And I just knelt down in front of her and I was like, what's up, baby? And she looked up at me, was like, I feel all alone in the woods. And I just was like floored. I'm like, okay, we need to do something. And I knew I couldn't count on my co-parent to make changes. So I had to look towards myself. And so, of course, I went to the internet and I was like, I need help. I need books on how to be in a co-parenting relationship because I knew that, you know, a co-parenting relationship still is just as valid as a marriage and dating. And I found that there really wasn't a lot of information on how. There was information on what to do and what not to do, but not how. And as a relationship therapist, I was like, 
I need tools. And so I put on my, my therapist hat and I was like, let me apply what I know about relationships and attachment theory to my co-parenting relationship. Because now the focus was just on parenting together, mm-hmm. not on, you know, being romantic together. And so the parameters shifted a little bit, but I started applying these relationship principles to our co-parenting relationship and actually started working. We moved from conflict to cooperation and my daughter, you know, felt the difference and she got back to her happy and thriving self. And, you know, I got some really great feedback from my mom friends and they're like, you know, what's your secret? So I decided to write it all down and, you know, I was very thankful to New Harbinger for picking up the idea. And so I've been writing this book now for the last year and a half, and it's finally launched this week. So it's very exciting. You know, in this book, I hope to help co-parents along their journey as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is divorce month, so it's perfect that it's out now. January is divorce month? Awareness. It's divorce month. Start the year off. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And so we want to start off the co-parenting journey right. And so my hope is to help co-parents understand their emotional landscape, understand their attachment style so they can actually be more intentional in how they interact and so they can communicate better so that their child can actually thrive and not take on the burdens of the divorce because that's what we all want. We want our kids to do well. So I love that. Two things I have to say about that story. First of all, when I got divorced, my kids were in, I want to say my oldest was in fourth grade, my youngest was in third, Mm -hmm. and my son, my oldest, said the exact same thing to me. I don't remember if he said lost in the woods, but it was something about like, I'm drowning, I'm alone, no one's here. And it just, it just killed me because again, like Mm. I was like, I can't control what's happening in half of your life. And our divorce was very sudden and it was shocking for all of us. I I remember even when we told our kids, they were like, you're kidding, right? Like you're joking. This is funny. And so that's interesting. I wonder how many other people that their kids report that kind of same thing. Oh my gosh. And it's really a matter of listening to your kids. I think our kids tell us so much of what they need. And, you know, it's about getting out of our own fog of emotions because, yeah, we're going through it. You know, you where I was is like, and really tuning into our kids and what they need because they do tell us. We just have to listen. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah, There was something, Arisha, that you said in there that I've heard a lot of people say Mm -hmm. is that I can't trust my co-parent to do this. And in your book, you talk a lot about communication patterns and identifying these communication patterns, seeing what yours are and seeing what your co-parents are. So let's take a little time to go through those. You see, there's three types. And the first one is avoidant communication patterns. What is that? Yeah. So before we get into the actual attachment style patterns, I I like to give a little background on what attachment theory is so people get it, if that's okay. Yeah. And I always like to say it takes one person to change a dynamic, you know, especially Mm -hmm. in a co-parenting one. The way once we can understand what we're doing, we can lead conversations and respond instead of react, which is the key to all this. So even if your co-parent's not on board, Mm -hmm. you can do so much on your own. So yeah, so our attachment styles come on board 
early on, as soon as we're born, basically, you know, because human children have an innate biological drive to seek protection and connection and proximity and care from their caregivers, who are their primary attachment figures. And probably about the age of two or three, you can start to notice the behaviors and the patterns. Mm -hmm. And so depending on how available and how reliable and consistent the caregiver was to meet the child's needs, the child is going to then create, you know, different coping mechanisms or adaptive strategies that then follow them through their lives into adulthood. So then we as adults take these and bring them into our romantic relationships. And because our romantic partner, our partners become our new attachment figures. Yeah. And then when we divorce, that person who once held the place of attachment figure is now no longer our person and it's very confusing. Yeah. And the exact thing that causes the attachment system to go into high gear is the separation, is the distress, is the, you know, is the conflict. And so all of our attachment needs and traumas and old wounds are like at an all-time high. And here it's confusing because our bodies are like, you used to be my person and now you're not. So what do I do? So the ways that we communicate directly, you know, show up, like our patterns show up in the ways that we communicate. Mm-hmm. The three attachment styles. So now I'll go into it, right? So you have avoidant, anxious, ambivalent, and secure. So I'll start with avoidant, as you mentioned. So avoidant, if you grew up with a caregiver who wasn't very attuned to your emotional needs, maybe they dismissed them. Maybe you spent a lot of time alone. You learned that your emotions and that your needs were not valid. And in order to be seen as worthy, you had to maybe perform in a certain way. Maybe there were high expectations. You know, you learned how to keep yourself safe by being Mm self-reliant. So people Mm -hmm. with, you know, avoidant attachment styles may be very, you know, addicted to their own independence and distant. And so the ways they communicate may not be very much at all. You know, they tend to not like text very often. If you text them, they may not respond or forget. They need a lot of time to process. They tend to get very uh, sensitive to criticism. So if they hear something that sounds like you're doing it wrong or someone's telling them what to do, they're going to shut down. They're not going to respond or they'll give you the hard hell no. Even if they might agree because you just told them what to do, they're going to shut down, right? And so- that, of course, isn't great for collaborative conversations. And they don't actually tend to collaborate very well because they are so into their own independence and proving their own sort of self-reliance. So then you have the person with ambivalent attachment style who may have had a caregiver who was more inconsistent, sometimes available, sometimes not. Their caregiver may have been preoccupied with their own emotions. And so this kid learned to over-exaggerate their needs or their emotions as a way of getting seen and heard and their needs met. Or they learn to caretake. You know, if I attend to my mom, maybe she'll be present with me and then I'll be able to feel loved. So as adults, these people tend to, you know, have more issues with abandonment. They need a lot of connection. So they're going to send out a lot of texts, a lot of emails. They want a lot of information. They tend to use a lot of urgency in their tone and need a lot of external validation and comforting from outside sources. So you can see already that the avoidant yeah, I I'm know, like right? I, for people that are, I just quietly mouthed that's me. <laughs> I 
have a lot of guilt though going through my head right now though because like when I hear avoidant I'm like I'm avoidant a little bit but I'm aware I'm avoid and I look and I'm like did I have to perform for my parents like there was this high achievement standard that I think like most kids had to do with the 80s and 90s but I don't really attribute that to my parents because like my sister grew up in the same household and like she's I don't think she's avoidant at all in fact I would think she's ambivalent and then I look at my kids and I'm like you're just describing my kids right there they're over exaggerators (laughs) and they're like they're driving me insane yeah well that's different kids have emotions and they have needs what I mean is you know over exaggerating it as a way to get someone's attention if the person is not responding right right? so they may Mm -hmm. just have needs and you're like I'm here I hear you what do you need kiddo and they're still having big needs and big emotions all that's fine and again I want to say there are superpowers and there are challenges to every attachment style there's nothing wrong like I tend towards more ambivalent as well you know if I'm not hearing a text back from my partner I, I feel it, you know, and I have to calm myself down and say, well, everything's fine. That's my, um, he's dead on the side of the road and had a car accident, kind of like, <laughs> if I don't get a text yeah. from my partner. I mean, it's like so, it's attributed to so many different things, I feel. But at the same time, <laughs> if I had to say a superpower to avoid it, is that they are not the ones that are going to go crazy if they don't hear it from you. They are the ones that are going to be exactly. able to be like, eh, that sucks, and move right on. <laughs> Whereas we're over here like, ah, how do I fix it? Exactly. And that shows up in breakups. They tend to move on very quickly and they seem fine. They're the ones that are seem cool and collected, you know, in mediation or, and meanwhile, the person with ambivalence, ambivalent attachment style tends to, you know, they show their emotions on their sleeve. So, and that Mm -hmm. also, and they're good collaborators actually, because they talk a lot and they want to process right there in the moment. So that's a superpower, right? Yeah. But then when you put it together, sometimes they trigger each other. So Uh we want to get to secure communication. I really want to hear about what secure communication is, and we're going to hear about it right after this break. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. 
Hey all, it is Joanne. And Bree here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. So we've talked about avoidant and ambivalent communication patterns so far. Tell us what secure communication pattern is. So people with secure attachment styles had caregivers who were attuned and reliable and available when uh, you expressed a need, when you were in distress, when you were feeling sad or angry, your parent was there. And so you learned as an adult, then you can communicate your needs pretty clearly. You don't use like manipulation or other strategies as a means of getting seen and heard. You hold boundaries pretty well. You collaborate really well. You can hold different people's perspectives. You still have feelings. You still, you know, get angry. You still, you know, because emotions are all okay and they're important and necessary. So it's more about how, you know, people with secure attachment tend to just be able to acknowledge their own and express them pretty well. And so the secure communication um, strategy that I talk about in the book actually is based upon what both, you know, the insecure People, the folks with insecure attachment styles, both need so that you can actually create more positive outcomes for everybody because that's what we want. Because I find that people with insecure attachment styles actually create the outcome that they don't want to have happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think being aware of those things is good because even when you said like, I have to be honest, when you said the secure communication patterns, I'm like, well, that's how I want to be. <laughs> and with my kids and I'm not doing that right now, Arisha, like I feel like so much guilt. And now I'm like fear-based and thinking like, oh my oh, gosh, no. my kids are ambivalent communication patterns and I need to go in and fix this. <laughs> and so if you're thinking that right now, when you're hearing this podcast, I am with you. And I am thinking though, like I'm thinking where this is going and tell me if I'm wrong, that there is a way that you can just acknowledge your communication <laughs> pattern. Because the other thing I'm really struggling with is that my communication pattern is dealt solely to my primary caregiver, which is like my mom and which is most moms. And I feel like it's put so much pressure on moms to know that like they could raise their kids like this. And it's, it's kind of all their fault. Like, that's what I hear. Oh, gosh, no. I think it's really important to actually give dads a little bit more responsibility here. Yes, yeah. the often we are the primary caregivers because we're there present. But the fact that a dad is not present also has effect 
on the kids. So, Mm -hmm. and how the dad talks to their kids when they are there, when they come home from work, when they are putting their kids to bed, how attuned they are in the moment on the everyday, even if it's 10 minutes a day. Because in the co-parenting world, we stress this a lot. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. Yeah. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to say that everything's on a continuum and that your attachment style can change and that it's just more about creating awareness so that we can get better at being more secure in our lives with our kids and with our, you know, co-parents and with our partners, you know, none of us are perfect. Like I don't, I'm all over it. Sometimes I'm more avoidant. Sometimes I'm more anxious and ambivalent. And I know this stuff really well and I see it. I check in with myself. I take a breath and, you know, use that opportunity to repair. If I tend to be a little, you know, let's say I snap at it at my kid. I'm like, oh gosh, let me repair. That's secure. Yeah. Re- being That's being secure, able yeah. to acknowledge yourself and where you might go off a little, you know, and then repair. That's the best kind of teachings that a child can yeah. receive is that's what we need in a relationship. So all of this, again, is not about being perfect. It's about bringing self-awareness in so that we can be more intentional in how we communicate. And it feels like a lot of the challenges that come in with you're trying, at least from my experience, when you're trying to co-parent is when you have those different attachment styles and you're mm-hmm. trying to communicate, but the other person isn't communicating the same way as you. And so it's like sitting up all those red flags and that's where we need help figuring out how to have those discussions when someone's a completely different community, completely different attachment, yeah. completely different communication style. Like how do you not feel disrespected when your avoidant co-parent just doesn't talk to you, doesn't answer anything, yeah. right? You don't personalize. Like you're like, he's avoidant or she's avoidant. So by labeling it, like yeah. my co-parent's more avoidant, I'm more anxious. Yeah. And so when I wouldn't get those texts or I'd get the shutdown, First, I check in with myself and say, okay, did I just say something that probably landed as criticism? So you have to always check in with yourself first. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. That's why he slammed the door and walked out. So what can I do on my end to not create that outcome that you know made me angry then because he just slammed the door and walked out? Mm-hmm. So that's how you can start to intentionally create a shift in the dynamic. Yeah. So here's the framework that I'd like to share that can help set people up for more success is you got to think about, you know, being respectful and being, you know, cordial. And that really starts off with acknowledgements. I hear you. It's the magic three words. I hear you. I use this one all the time. My co-parent sends out whatever that sounds like, you know, telling me what to do or something that like just triggers me. I hear you. And then I pause or, you know, thanks for, you know, making all that lunch for kiddo, can you make sure that, you know, we talk about what he actually likes to eat? By saying thanks for making lunch, that minimizes the defensive response. So it's how you lead conversations. So acknowledgements really minimizes defensiveness and it lets people feel seen and heard immediately. So that's the first step. You know, the second tip is being really brief and concise. Avoidance, love this. They don't like all the emails that, you know, or all the words that ambivalent. They don't like the paragraph description of why this happened. (laughs) Right. So they're going to shut down immediately and not respond, which is going to then trigger the ambivalent who's like, where are you? How come you're not responding? So if you keep your texts and emails and even your words brief, concise, 
Third tip is stick to one point at a time and only provide the relevant information, the who, what, where, when, and why. That's going to help the ambivalent who needs information and who loves details feel like they have it all in one place. And it's going to help the avoidant not get all those emails, which feels overwhelming and they shut down. So that also is a really great frame. I love those two because as an avoidant person, like I I tend to skew more toward avoidant, definitely hearing this. And as an avoidant person, it's good to hear those things that you need the information in one place and you're not being a horrible person by not responding to the text. It's just that your brain is completely overwhelmed and... It yes. provides more understanding when you know yes. your person, your partner's communication style, for sure. And we're going to get to your third tip right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Okay, so you had two tips in terms of co-parenting discussions. It was being very concise and acknowledging the feelings and saying, I hear you. What is your third tip? So yes, the third tip is asking questions. So asking questions and being curious instead of making assumptions and criticisms or using blamey language or telling anyone what to do is going to immediately make your co-parent feel validated, feel like, oh, my opinion matters. It creates that sense of inclusion and moves you directly into more collaborative conversations. Mm-hmm. So this is this one's great for both the avoidant and the ambivalent because you know, the avoidant likes to feel like that their opinion matters, that their voice matters for their sense of worthiness. And the ambivalent likes to be included all the time and be part of it. And, you know, so this one's a really great one. Ask questions. Assumptions are like lead you into defensive land. It's never turns Mm -hmm. out well. Yeah. And then the last one is really about boundaries. I call it Roger that. So acknowledge receipt of an email, even if you cannot respond immediately. You can send a thumbs up, you know, got it. I'll let you know by Friday, 5 p.m. So just really being boundaried of what and when you can respond by. And when you send out a text, make sure you're very clear about when you need information by. This way, you're not going to send out lots of texts like, hey, I haven't heard from you, I haven't heard from you, because you've just already, if you're an avoidant, said, I can't right now, I'll let you know, bye. And that really holds that respectful and boundary frame and allows you to work together a little bit better. 
Those are great, simple tips that I could see people just putting into their daily communication with their co-parent that I could, that would make a huge, huge difference. And I know there's so much more information in your book, Cooperative Co-Parenting for Secure Kids, that was just released. Obviously, you're excited about that. What else are you excited about right now, Arisha? Well, next week is my book launch party. So I'm looking forward to speaking with people in person and, you know, signing books and talking to people about the book and answering questions. So that's, of course, right at the forefront of my brain. So I'm very excited about that. That is an exciting thing going on. And where can people find you? So you can go to my Instagram, which is Cooperative Co-Parenting. That's my main one, cooperative co-parenting. You can find me on my website, arishasmolarski.com, and you can email me or DM me, and I'm happy to talk with anyone and you know consult with you, and who knows, maybe we'll work together in the future. Love that. Awesome. I love that. You know, it's needed because, again, co-parenting, like you said, there's not a lot of how to do it. Like you said, you can find a million lists that say, don't do this and do that. And it's fantastic. Great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I just checked off the don't do on that's on this list this week. How do I fix it? Oh yeah. Nobody can help me. <laughs> so right. Right. Yeah. I've, I loved that... your book and I'm so happy. I wish it was there seven years ago. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It really was wonderful speaking to you both. So in terms of co-parenting tips, Brie, was anything new to you throughout the whole conversation? Um, You know, I don't give enough credit to the fact that I know my co-parent has a completely different attachment style. And I know I just said attachment style, but that also includes communication style, right? Yeah, it's a communication style. We can call it communication style. That's what we'll say. Like he communicates in a completely different way than I do. It was hard when we were married. It is really hard when you're divorced. (laughs) So yes, that is what causes, I think, like 99% of my frustration and I, and actually it's come to the point where I like avoid communication as much as possible because I'm just like, mm, it's going to be a it's headache. It's taxing. Yeah. It's ex- an exhausting situation. I love though the tips that Arisha uh, gave in this episode about how to really communicate with your co-parent effectively, because I feel like you can use these tips in any relationship yes. and they'll help you phenomenally. Like the first one was acknowledge, just acknowledge the feelings and acknowledge that you hear them. And I think we use that with our kids all the time too. be like, I hear you're upset. I totally get you're frustrated right now. Like I use those phrases all the time. Well, and she also said something too, at the very beginning that I've heard you say many times over too, is like starting with the positive, like, thank you. Thank you for what you did. Even if what they did to you was a huge dumpster fire. It's a thank you for doing yeah. like some actually I think her example was like, thank you for making that delicious lunch for our child. Can we perhaps talk about foods that they like to eat? <laughs> but I'm just like so like you said, like you're thanking them and then acknowledging where they're coming from. That is huge. Yes. That is huge. Like I I have tried really hard to use a lot of the I hear you. I hope Mm -hmm. that that comes across positively. I'm not sure how that comes across via text, but 
it's like, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And I understand that. I think it's just like the summarization part of it too, because when you summarize back what you hear, then it gives the other person a chance to correct Yeah. or it gives the other person a chance to be like, okay, they get that I'm upset. They exactly. get that I, I, I want this. And it goes hand in hand with that second tip of be concise. And that's something that I know I, I do with my husband because he really likes the concise things. He gets overwhelmed just like I do. And I'm like, I need this because what we tend to do is over explain ourselves. What? No. No. <laughs> oh, I never, never give you a 15 minute explanation for why I'm late. Well, it's interesting right. because a lot of things like I have seen when people do over explain is Sometimes they talk the other person out of what they want. You know what I mean? Not, let me give you an example. So say like one person comes in and is like, I want pizza for dinner. And the person they're talking to is like, oh, okay, pizza's fine. Thinking in their mind. But then they start explaining, yeah, but I want pizza for dinner because then we had hamburgers last night. And I know you like hamburgers. And since it was your time to have hamburgers last night, then today I think we should have pizza this night. And then this other person's like, wait a minute. So we're taking turns now on who picks dinner? Pizza was fine. So it's the over-explaining goes against even the best interest in the conversation. Yeah, mm -hmm. it can. It certainly can. It's like you've got the yes already. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, it just also like, it depends on like the mindset, like the more she was talking about. So she talks about be concise. And then mm -hmm. in that she talked about like relevant information as well. She kind of rolled those two mm -hmm. into one. That immediately made me go to like, oh, like an engineer's brain. <laughs> just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. I don't know why that went down to Southern, but you know, whatever. But it's also, you need to ask questions too, which she also said, because you can make assumptions all day long for what you think the other person is thinking. Yeah. And usually they're wrong. And the assumptions are wrong. Well, and chances are when you're dealing with your co-parent, we kind of got divorced for a reason. And, you know, so you <laughs> might be thinking that they're wrong a lot. And I'm just here to say that Sometimes we overassume that they are the wrong person in the conversation or the wrong person in the situation. And we need to hear where they're coming from, what their perspective of is, like why they did what they did. Like you said, and you can't figure that out if you don't ask questions because you immediately go with like, well, it's because they're a jerk. That really puts you at a, you're not going to get far in this conversation. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I'm trying to be very, very PG in my conversation with this. <laughs> But the inner rage is coming out. You could see it. You could see it. <laughs> and then finally, I love the Roger that because I get into conversations just with everybody where it's like you text someone and then they don't respond for a while. I am one of those people who doesn't respond for a while. And so I'm going to use this in my everyday communication where if somebody texts me and it's like so much information, I'll just be like, hey, I, I got this and I'll respond to it soon. Well, okay. First of all, I think that is a thing with our younger kids, like with our teens, they talk about being left unread and stuff, but I think Roger, that is huge. It's huge again. So in my personal situation, like I mentioned in the interview, I am an ambivalent communicator. That is how I am. Like I need a lot of reassurance. I need, and, and I can tell you, like, I exactly know like, oh man, off mic, we'll have to have a nice long conversation about the whole, like, attachment parenting, I, which I know, but like the whole, like how I, I saw my parents go through different types of attachment. They did different types of parenting with all three of us and how that. Yeah. But anyway, back to the point is 
See, I'm doing it right now. I'm over explaining. And then my ex, <laughs> he's avoidant. He's very quiet, concise man of very few words. Always has been, always will be. And so I'll send something. I hear nothing. It's crickets. And that is what annoys me and drives me bonkers. And if there was just a Roger that, which I have noticed, key point to my ex that he has been doing that more lately of giving a thumbs up just acknowledging in some basic form that he got the text or the email. Yeah. That's very helpful. I think it just lets people know, got it. And I liked you. I talked about setting up the parameters and you talked about it just now too. Mm -hmm. Like, got it. We'll respond to you later. Get back to you by Friday, whatever it is. That helps us needy people. I don't want to say needy, (laughs) but kind of needy. Kind of needy. (laughs) Well, if you want to learn more about these strategies, definitely go get Orisha's book. It is out now. It is called Cooperative Co-Parenting for Secure Kids, The Attachment Theory Guide to Raising Kids in Two Homes. We have the link for it in the show notes down below. And until next time, the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.